This morning we continue our Unraveled series, a series where we look at what happens when um, our lives or the world around us unravels and how God meets us in this time. And today we continue in the book of Exodus, uh, where we were last week. Last week we heard the story about the birth of Moses, uh, who was born during a time of uh, great slavery uh, and oppression. Uh, at the time, a pharaoh was ruling who uh, not only had the Hebrews enslaved, but also called for genocide and the killing of the Hebrew boys. And we heard about how uh, the Hebrew midwives, Moses' mother and sister, and Pharaoh's daughter um, all worked in their own ways to resist that decree and to help protect Moses and give him life. And so now we're about uh, three chapters later, and what's happened in that intervening time is Moses has grown up. Um, he's moved away to the land of Midian, gotten married, become a shepherd. And then God came and met him in the story of the uh, burning bush and called Moses back uh, to be a deliverer of his people. Uh, Moses agreed, a little reluctantly, but now we find him back in Egypt where he and his brother Aaron confront Pharaoh, uh, saying the famous words, let my people go. And what we'll hear in this passage is how Pharaoh basically doubles down, says no, and instead uh, forces the Hebrew people into even harder labor. And uh, then we're gonna skip to the story of the first plague, which is a series of disasters that happened to the Egyptians um, as uh, Pharaoh uh, refuses to let God's people go. And we'll see that each time uh, a plague occurs that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so we're going to think about this text in light of uh, what does it mean when we uh, face hardened hearts in ourselves and others? What does it mean when we face uh, systems that uh, refuse to change? So let us listen for the word of God. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Exodus, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9 chapter 7 verses 14 to 23. Afterward Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should heed the Lord and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has revealed God's self to us. Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God. For God will fall upon us with pestilence and sword, or sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Pharaoh continued, now they are more numerous than the people of the land and you want them to stop working? That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people as well as their supervisors. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That is why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand by the river bank to meet him and take in your hand the staff that was turned into a snake. Say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, sent me to you to say, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But still now you have not listened. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. See, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall be turned to blood. The fish in the river shall die, the river it's itself shall stink, and the Egyptians shall be unable to drink water from the Nile. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over its rivers, its canals, its ponds, and all its pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout the whole land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and his officials, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the river, and all the water in the river was turned into blood, and the fish in the river died. The river stank so that the Egyptians could not drink its water, and there was blood throughout the whole land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, our story this morning in my mind anyway, is really about power and control and fear. And what happens when we fear losing power or control in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but in my own life, uh, when I am afraid or afraid of losing power or losing control, I quickly look for what in my life I can control. Uh, so at work, um, that will mean like if a sermon's not coming on a particular week, then I will get out my red pencil and I start working that bulletin, finding every comma, every T that needs to be crossed because that I can control. Or at home, there'll be um, a project that just feels a little bit overwhelming, uh, too much to handle. And so that'll be the night I decide to sort my sock drawer because that I can control. Now it's one thing when it's bulletins and sock drawers, but it's another thing when it becomes people or creation around us. And again, I think about this in my own life where sometimes if I am feeling so stressed or overwhelmed, I can take it out on the people around me. Um, because somehow if I can control my kids or if I yell at them or try to get them in line, then maybe that gives me a greater sense of power. I don't feel like I'm losing as much control. Well, I think this is what's happening in our story this morning, but on a, a supersized scale. A Pharaoh has a lot of power and he also has a lot of fear. And we saw this in last, last week's passage when uh, as the Hebrews multiply, he becomes afraid that they're going to take over or that they're going to escape. And so he enslaves them as a people. 
And then as they continue to grow, um, he is afraid that there, uh, there will be a mutiny. And so he uh, basically orders genocide and the killing of the Hebrew boys. We know Moses um, escapes this. The population continues to grow. And so when Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and ask uh, to let my people go, Pharaoh says no. I think out of a deep sense of fear and uh, needing to control and worrying that he's losing control, that there's no way he's going to let this people go and worship uh, some other god whose authority he refuses uh, to recognize. And instead of granting the freedom that they asked for, what Pharaoh does is he doubles down. He doubles down on the slavery and makes it even harder for them. So not only are they now having to produce the same number of bricks, but now they need to get all the straw for the bricks. These people, the Hebrew people, they are already on the lowest rung of society, but now Pharaoh makes their lives even harder. And in the process, he makes his own heart even harder too. This confrontation just begins um, an escalation that is going gonna, is gonna to grow. Moses will come back under God's command and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh again will say no. And it begins to turn into signs. So we skip a little passage where uh, God tells Moses and Aaron to go before Pharaoh to take a staff uh, to throw it down. It will turn into a snake, which Moses and Aaron do. And even showing off that power, uh, Pharaoh's not impressed. His heart is hardened even more. And then we begin to get the start of the plagues. And uh, the plague we read today, the Nile uh, turning from life-giving water into blood, is the first of ten that will ante up over time. And eventually it'll be locusts and boils and, and uh, eventually the tenth plague, uh, death of the children. And what's interesting about this is that every time that Moses comes and there's a call for liberation, there is an increased call for oppression. Or repression. Um, then Moses will come back and uh, call for more liberation and then the leaders and Pharaoh and the status quo they dig in their heels even more and it keeps going up and up until uh, the plague that calls for the death of the children and then we hear uh, Moses leading the Israelites out of uh, slavery uh, through Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea. Walter Brueggemann, who's a wonderful Hebrew Testament scholar and pastor, um, writes about this passage and he says that in many ways it reflects the process of social transformation in that there is this anteing up, that sometimes things get worse uh, before they get better. And he puts it this way, he says, quote, the hardening and escalation of repression are a necessary step in creating a social situation so laden with pressure that it will blow open with rage and indignation. In the sense that in some ways you need this ratcheting up in order to, to help people really understand and get angry enough to do something about it. And I think this is the escalation that we are seeing in our society today, that there is a ratcheting up of a call for liberation, and then there's a ratcheting up of oppression, and a call for liberation and oppression, and, and it, is, uh, it is starting to come to a head. 
Ibram Kendi, who is um, the researcher and author who's done a lot of study around racism in the United States, his, his most recent book is um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, he wrote an article for the September issue of The Atlantic. And in it, he kind of talks about this um, idea of escalation. And he really, uh, he points to history over time, kind of leading up to this moment, but he in particular talks about the last four years and the current presidential administration and um, policies that really reflect a hardness of heart and a fear of lack of control and, um, and, and policies that are really working to oppress others. He notes that um, when there's fear, whether that's fear of other people coming in and taking over, immigrants or, or Muslims, there's, um, there's then a doubling down on oppression. Whether there's a challenge to white supremacy or a growing awareness of racism, there's a doubling down on the oppression. Um, he's quick to point out, again, as I said, that it's over time, but it's really ratcheted up in the last four years. And so what he notes is that in this uh, current administration's attempts to consolidate power, uh, whether that's closing doors to Muslims coming into this country, whether it's putting uh, people on the border, coming across the border into cages and children into cages, whether it's telling congressional women of color to go back to the countries that they came from, whether it's praising uh, white supremacists as very good people, uh, whether it's directing federal officers to use force against its own citizenry, that in all of these actions, uh, while they are deeply oppressive, it has also served to peel back the realities of our systems and their brutality, um, peeled back the reality of isms, of, of racism and classism and sexism in a way that many people in our country, particularly white people, um, have been willing to overlook before or have not seen in, in the same way before. And so in that way, um, because of this ratcheting up, we are finally seeing the need for change. So we are, and we are beginning to work for change in new and sustained ways, protests, education, advocacy, understanding that this is slow, hard, long work. And I think if we take this Exodus story and in conversation with these current events, what we also can see is that we serve a God of liberation and we serve a God who longs for social transformation, um, who, who gives Moses the courage and the persistence to hang in there and to show up again and again and to say, let my people go, even when the door is slammed in his face, even when Pharaoh's heart gets harder, um, God empowers Moses to keep showing up. And what I hear in this is a God not who wants this bad stuff to happen or who works to escalate all these things, but a God who is there um, in it for the long haul and in it to, to work eventually for the liberation and the freedom of all people um, to flourish as they are created to be. And so in this text, there is a deep call to, to be in that step of Moses, to, to be the one who persists and who keeps fighting and who keeps showing up. But if we only put ourselves in the footsteps of Moses, we miss an important part of the story, which is also to put ourselves 
in the footsteps of Pharaoh. And to see how there is a little bit of Pharaoh in each one of us. That what we are seeing in the pullback of the veil of the systems being pulled back is we also see our own complicity in them. And we see the way our own hearts um, have been hardened, the way our own hearts need softening, and the way that when we are fearful or when we feel out of control, um, we might be inclined to control or hurt or make decisions that uh, hurt others. Uh, this is certainly true for me. I can see this in my own life in a whole bunch of ways. I can see this um, when it comes to issues of the environment. I know, as many of us do, the realities of climate change. But I also know I love my power, my control, my convenience, my comfort. And so um, there's a disconnect because even though I know these things, I still make choices at time that that are about convenience and not about the preservation of the earth. Uh, I make decisions about what I consume that I know um, affect terribly people in other parts of the globe. And so there's a way that I know my heart still needs to be softened, that I will change the way I behave. I think about it even in terms of um, my own self, my own body, uh, the culture of production that we have in our world that uh, like uh, Pharaoh telling the uh, Hebrew people that they had to produce more, that production was the answer, that that was the economic name of the game. That's what our culture subscribes to, that we always have to be producing something. And so even if we're sick or we our bodies need a break or our minds need a break, um, we push ourselves, I do this always, power through, you still have to produce, right? You still have something to show for it. But that's a way that our hearts are hardened, the way that we subject ourselves um, to, that own, to that own oppression uh, when, when really we need to be softened to be able to be free. This is certainly true for me um, in racism, that I can tell ways that I am still uh, complicit, still have such a hard heart. And my spouse and I were just talking about this earlier this week, about how there have been so many times in my life and opportunities in my life to, to see um, that I've gotten glimpses of just um, of racism and effects, whether that's from growing up in Atlanta where racism was still very real in my church, in my school, in the communities in which I live. Or whether that was when I went to college at William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, an entire city and a college built on the backs of slaves, built because of the tobacco industry. And I took classes on the origins of the slave trade, reading about people whose buildings named after them I was sitting in. Um, or I think about going to divinity school and um, studying African-American critical religious thought and womanist theology. and again, catching glimpses, but not fully understanding my own complicity, not fully understanding my own hardened heart. And so even in these last few months, as more protests are, are taking place, and as I, I'm continuing to wake up, I can feel my heart softening, but in that softening, I also realize how much hardness is still there, how much work um, there still is to do. And so as much as I want to be in those shoes of Moses, as much as I feel called to want to be the liberator, I also know that I need to be the liberated. 
I also know that I am that Pharaoh who is needing that softness. I need that softening of the heart, which God can provide. What I hear in our story is a God who longs uh, to provide us with that liberation, to liberate not only those who are oppressed by the structures of our society, but all those who are also oppressed by frames of mind, oppressed by uh, the fear of losing power, oppressed by the need to control, and oppressed by a sense of entitlement or our own importance. And that God longs to liberate us from that, longs to help us see that there is enough. There's enough power, enough resources, enough money, enough food uh, to go around the whole world. And that we are called to seek um, that flourishing and the liberation of all. It is slow, hard work. And yet we have a God who is a God of liberation, a God who calls us to be less like Pharaoh in need of control and more like Moses, showing up day after day to work for change. So may God soften our hearts. May God move us from hearts like Pharaoh to hearts like Moses. May we seek liberation for ourselves and for others. And may God's justice roll down like waters. Amen.